There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're live with another Forever Mighty post-game show after a yet another Ducks win. Ducks are able to take out the Dallas Stars 5-3, to three, Eddie. This was a standing room only crowd at Anaheim tonight, so it was awesome to see. Very riled up crowd. All the woos were going on in the first period that I hate, <laughs> but obviously all the fans love besides me. The Ducks had three goals in the first period, so it was easy to get that going. Um, I had never heard of the guy in net for Dallas. You know, I know Ben Bishop was there, but I had never heard of McKenna and, and who was in net tonight. I feel bad for him. He got lit up in that beginning of the game, but the Ducks are deciding their own destiny man that's what we were all hoping for they have one game left tomorrow in arizona but the ducks cleaned up here tonight five to three how'd you feel about this game just going into it i mean we talked about a little bit a little bit of it last game but the ducks have been on fire right now uh were you expecting this kind of outcome yeah you know i i thought they would get a win um i and and really beginning you know when they're up i think it was four one at one point or even three nothing I thought it was a little bit too easy because Dallas had, had played a strong game against the Sharks the other night. I, I thought Dallas was going to put up more of a fight. And then you saw that later on in the, in the game when they brought it back within one goal and the Ducks were able to hold on. So it was more of an exciting closer game than I think we all expected. But you can't complain. I mean, the Ducks have won four games in a row. They kept their hopes of alive of finishing second in the Pacific Division. And that's really all that matters at this point. Absolutely. Anaheim's 8-1-1 one one in their last 10. Getting into this game, Corbinian Holzer and then uh, your boy Captain Canada, Chris Kelly, Antoine <laughs> Vermette, and Troy Terry were all scratches. Very disappointing to see this first-year contract of Troy Terry getting burned. I wonder if it's because he's still injured, but there's been kind of mum on, the, on that topic. Um, pretty much the same lineup, or actually the exact same lineup as we saw Wednesday night. And then it's McKenna versus Miller. I will take Miller 999 times out of 1,000 in any situation over McKenna. Uh, that poor guy just... He looked shaky in this game. It's his first start of the year. Um, just 
not a good game for him. Is uh, you said it was his first NHL start in three years, so yeah. pretty tough, tough go for him, man. I mean, I'm surprised they went with him. Really, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, they do play tomorrow against the the Kings, so Lenton is the guy back up right now. I think he was just coming back from injury, and they said he was healthy enough to back up. He probably could have started the game, but it looks like they're saving him for the Kings, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, I'd rather face McKenna tonight and have the better goalie facing the Kings tomorrow on the back-to-back. Um, and, and Bishop's really been hurt for them, I think, since March. So they, they, they had a choice to make. I, I would I, I mean, I'll always take facing a guy who hasn't had a start in three years. His first appearance was uh, on April 3rd. Uh, against the uh, against, against the Sharks in a relief performance. That was his first appearance since Colorado in 2015. And his last win was in December of 2013. So he's been kind of a journeyman. He's been up and down through the AHL and the NHL. I'll pick him over Letton any day of the week, especially if Letton is facing the Kings tomorrow. No, I'd gladly go with that because the Kings have had the ease of schedule t- facing the opponent of Anaheim on the second half from a back-to-back but getting back to this game, the Ducks obviously still without Cam Fowler, that very mysterious two to six week injury, which we all know, as you said last show, is pretty much a four to six. Looked like a separated shoulder there. Um, hopefully he gets back sooner rather than later. But then you don't have John Gibson. He's day to day with an upper body. A lot of suspicion of a concussion, as we talked about last show, too. That we don't know the truth of. We just know he's not playing, and I'm fine with that. There's no playoffs till next Wednesday, so let's rest the guy. He got us in. Let's go with it. And you know what it was tonight, which was just as big of a win. It was Francois Beauchemin's final regular season home game in a duck sweater. And, you know, pretty much has just been said an NHL sweater at this point. He's done with his career. We'll talk more about him in the post game. But he got a standing ovation tonight. It was pretty cool. Even the Stars players were tapping sticks for him on the ice. Everyone was up and, and clapping for him. It was awesome to see. You got to give it up for, uh, for you know, for Beauch there no. Yeah, you have to. I mean, we've been hard on him, and a lot of people have all season just based off his play, but it's tough. I mean, he what, he's 37 now. It's going to be hard for him to compete at the level you're kind of used to for him back in the day. So it's nice to see the tribute video. It's kind of sad in a way to see him go. I mean, he's he's done so much. He's, he's achieved so much with the Ducks over his entire career, and obviously he's been with uh, different teams at times in Toronto and Colorado. So... It's disappointing, but I mean, it's kind of his time to move on, and it was nice to see that tribute and the respect given to him. No, absolutely, and you know, in all fairness, as, as much as as you just said, we give him a hard time, but I mean, he was never never expected to play as many games. Like he was not expected yeah. to play these kinds of minutes, and with all the injuries in Anaheim, he's done a, he's done a number for this team, and he's he's really been there for this group and even though he's been caught up a lot of times on ice you got to remember what his position was supposed to be and what he was called upon to do so hats off to francois on a great career but let's get started with this first period man kick the intro off so we can get this moving and again by benning darnell nurse left it in the corner gets up center perry
All right, well, let's jump right into the first period. And there, I mean, it, there wasn't a ton going on really early on. I think the first big chance was when Yanmark broke in an outnumbered attack. Uh, and Miller had to come out and make a, a pretty good glove save early on. That was pretty much it until the first Ducks goal of the game. And the Ducks broke out on a three-on-two. Coglano dished it over to Manson, who set up Silverberg with a beautiful area pass. And, and we've, we've got on Josh Manson for getting secondary assists and really getting that be the bulk of his points all season. But this was a beautiful primary assist by him to set up Silverberg on this goal. No, it was such a good play. I mean, I know McKenna maybe maybe was a little slow to react to that deflection opportunity, but it was an odd man rush. And what are you going to do at that point? But a yeah. beautiful fee by Manson there, and the finish by Cogley or uh, the finish by Silverberg there was was great. Yeah, just an underrated uh, ability to pass the puck this year by Josh Manson. He's kind of picked up his game and, and added that to his arsenal, which has been huge for him. But, uh, you know, moving on in the first period, Perry broke in alone just after that as well. But he couldn't put it past McKenna. He kind of lost the puck a bit uh, on his way to the net. Radulov then takes a slashing penalty. So the Ducks go to their first power play of the game. And what do you know? They actually score a power play goal. And it was some great passing. Getzlaff feeds Raquel in the slot. Raquel makes a couple of good moves. His initial shot is actually saved by McKenna, but he slams home his own rebound. And this was a trend for, for Mike McKenna throughout the entire game. He re- really couldn't hold on to, to a lot of pucks. I think there was about two or three goals the Ducks had were because he couldn't really hold on to it. Uh, and and what, just what a great goal. I, I mean, it was a really good setup from, from uh, Getzlaff, and Raquel was able to pot his 33rd of the season, tying a career high. Yeah, and you know what? We got a power play goal, man. That's the all more important thing. <laughs> I yeah. felt like it's like... <laughs> This power play has just gotten look after look after look, game after game. You see all the passing, all the pretty puck movement, and no finish on that. But, no, that was a great play there, and the Ducks were able to pot one of the power play, make it 2 nothing. Yeah, and, and really after that, there wasn't a lot of time in between the Ducks' power play goal and the first goal of the game by the Stars. Uh, Mathot took a, a pass from Radulov. I uh, got it right at the top of the, uh, the left circle, and he just blasts it past Ryan Miller wasn't really screened maybe you can put that a bit on Miller um, because normally you wouldn't really think of Mark Mathot wiring a puck to the top corner I believe this was the first of the year for Mark Mathot but yeah it was he's been injured a lot yeah exactly and he's not known for his goal scoring but it was a good shot and, and it put the stars within one no and it's it was something that it, it, the stars came in on just a great possession play they controlled the puck in that duck zone and they're the ones who freed up that shot from the top of the circle. And he made no mistake, man. He put it in a real tight spot on Miller. I guess, you could, like you said, you could put a little bit on Miller, but it was a great shot on the thought. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, you can maybe put the blame a bit on Miller. I think Kessler's the one who goes down to try and block the shot and misses yep. it as well. So some blame goes there. But next play after that was uh, Miller making his probably second save to get really into the game on this one. Uh, Sagan was alone in front, found himself with the puck on his stick. Couldn't really elevate it, but he jams it into Miller, who makes a pretty good save. Uh, and then we go to the next play here. This is Richie cross-checked Raquel from behind. And yes, this is Brett Richie, Nick Richie's brother, <laughs> with a, a, a kind of a nasty cross-check on the back of Ricard Raquel. But the Ducks get their second power play of the game. Nothing going on that, but right when the power play ends... Cogliano feeds Lindholm at the point, and he's done this a lot when he gets the puck. He, he doesn't just shoot it right away. Sometimes he waits for the perfect opportunity, shoots it on net. Silverberg gets a good tip. It goes five-hole on McKenna. 
They reviewed this later, and it was actually Grant who got a second tip in front of the goal, and the goal was actually credited to him after. But still, uh, a very good tip for Silver to get it on net. No, it was great. Yeah, you're you're right. Lindholm likes to walk in short distance on that blue line. He does that a lot. You're 100% on that. He gets the puck. He's able to wait, 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 and then he just does a few crossovers and goes back against the grain a lot. And I don't think McKenna saw the puck at all. There was no yeah. way he saw that. He stood still and froze, and also the puck was in the back of the net for the Ducks, and it was 3-1. to one. With just about well, yeah, with twenty seconds flat to go in the first. Yeah, yeah, he he stood up like he thought it was going to hit him high, and it ends up tipping, going through five hole. But it was a, a pretty good period for the Ducks. Obviously, they end up leading three to one, out shooting Dallas thirteen to seven. But I think a lot of that is on Mc, uh, Mike McKenna in that period. He looked really shaky. Uh, you look at the the second goal of the game. That was a rebound he should have had. It went to Ricard Raquel, and then obviously the tip that he just did not see on the third goal. And that continued into the second period. Right at the beginning, Ben cross-checks Caster from behind Hines, similar to the play that Richie did on Raquel earlier. The Ducks get their third power play of the game. Uh, they don't end up scoring on the power play, but again, right after, Perry forces a turnover, takes it the other way, drops it for Getzlaff, whose shot is stopped by McKenna, but of course it squeaks through. He's not able to hold the puck. And Manson, jumping into the rush, buries into the open net. Hey, man, he didn't get a second assist on this play. <laughs> he's, he's got a primary assist and a goal <laughs> no it was a great play and it's kind of like just what you would expect from Getzloff making making offense happen you know he ends up getting the puck Perry gets the, you know, gets the original puck in as a turnover he intercepted the pass drops it to Getzloff and the shot goes but I mean why would it not be Getzloff at the heart of it and Manson there to clean it up um, I thought it was great I mean the Ducks really needed that at that point too to swing the momentum back so great start to the second period for Anaheim there yeah, it really was. It put them up 4-1 to one at that point, and you kind of thought, I know it's early, but you kind of thought it was over. The Ducks were really controlling this game. And then right after that, the Stars get one back, and they get a shot from the front that's, that was going wide, but it hits Radic Faxa and ends up going in past Ryan Miller. Kind of an unlucky goal because the shot was going pretty far wide, and I think it just hits off Faxa's foot and ends up finding its way into the back of the net. Not much you can do that, really. I mean, what are you going to yeah. say to Ryan Miller on that play? It's just that goal that happens. It happens every night in every game, just about. You know, you can't blame the goalie for everything at this point. Just unfortunate, but the Ducks still retain the lead. Yeah, and and wouldn't you know that, I mean, Sagan trips Kessler. The Ducks get their fourth power play of the game. When's the last time you remember the Ducks having four power plays before the other team even got one? <laughs> I don't remember the last game when that happened. No, and you know, the thing about that was, is going into the third period, it was kind of like, I know we're not there yet, but it's going into the third period, it was like, uh, the Ducks have not taken a single penalty, this is so unlike Anaheim, and then all of a sudden that started to happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can pretty much go into the third period, not much happened to end the second, there was a point where Montour lost his stick at the blue line and allowed Shore to come in alone on Boschman, and then Miller had to make a pretty good save. And then after that, it was just pretty much some back-and-forth action, not really any highlight-worthy plays to finish the second. So the Ducks led 4-2. to two. They actually outshot Dallas 15-5 to five in the second period. Shots were 28-12. to 12. Really good for the Ducks to limit this offense to 12 shots through two periods. But then Dallas woke up, and they really were the better team for this third period. Some good passing early on between Ben and Radula, but Miller made a good play to, to break it up with a poke check. But then right after that, Ben comes in solo this time over the blue line and just wires it top quarter. I mean, what a shot. I mean, this guy, 
he doesn't. I mean, he's an elite player, but he doesn't. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he can do on a nightly basis. I mean, he he won the Art Ross a couple seasons ago, uh, and and yes, their offenses struggle, but him and Sagan together in the line is just scary. He's your prototypical prototypical power forward. I mean, yeah. who would you? Uh, I mean, how would you not want that guy on your team? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Jamie Ben is an elite talent, and he just put the puck where Miller couldn't get to it. And, you know, honestly, the gap control on that play, I guess you could fault that a little bit with Montour. Yeah. But, I mean, Montour's been so good. And James, you're talking about an elite talent. This is yeah. not a fourth-line scrub that's that's riding the pine the whole night and they get a chance on the offense. It's Jamie Benn. And he made no mistake there. It's it's hard to pin it on anybody there. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, he, he really victimized Brandon Montour in that play. But it's going to happen, especially when you're an elite talent, like you said, like Jamie Benn. But right after that, uh, Perry got a couple good chances. He forced a turnover in the Stars zone, uh, had a little bit of a turnaround slap shot on net, and that was actually probably the best save of the night for Mike McKenna. He kind of turned it on a bit in the third period. He kind of settled in after some shaky play through the first two and made a good save there. And then seconds later, Perry hits the post, and McKenna actually got a piece of it to hit it off the post. But then after those two plays, that was pretty much it for the Ducks because Richie takes an interference penalty. Another dumb penalty by Nick Ritchie. Stars get their first power play of the game. You felt at this point, just because it was Ritchie who got the penalty, I felt like the Stars were going to score and tie it up. I, I just it, it felt like it was written in the script. It's so terrible to say that, man, but I said the same <laughs> thing to my buddy who was at the game with, who's, mind you, a giant Kings fan, so he was enjoying my pain in that third period watching the Stars take over the game. Like, dude, I can just feel this. I just feel it. They're out shooting the Ducks. They're out chancing the Ducks. It does not look good. And then all of a sudden, Richie takes that penalty like, oh, here it comes, here it comes, just waiting for it. But luckily, that didn't turn out to be the case. Yeah, I mean, after that point, even through the power play, the Ducks really just look like they're hanging on to get these two points. And it's, it's, I guess we really haven't seen that for a while. The Ducks have actually played some strong third periods over the last three games to have this three-game winning streak up until this point. But uh, the Ducks got a late chance. Coglano was denied by Mike McKenna after this is probably his second best save of the night where Silverberg was able to find him in front uh, and it was a good point-blank save. But the Stars turn the puck over again at exiting the zone. It falls right to Coglano. He gets a breakaway, makes McKenna pay this way, 5-3 Ducks. That's the insurance goal game over. Yeah, that was that's all, that's all she wrote at that point. The Ducks victimized. A young goalie with not a lot of experience. I felt like in this game they made the best of their chances, but they piled on the shots on goal. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt like they dominated those first 40 minutes, right? And then you go to the third period and they only had five shots. It was just a weird, like, bounce back for the Stars in the third. This is a team that's not going to the playoffs. Yeah. They're not playing their top goaltender. The Ducks are trying to get playoff ready and stay hot. Hell of a win. They needed it. But I, I felt like th- the third period was too scary for me. I'm glad they got the win. I'm not trying to bash our, our team, but my God. <laughs> if yeah. they're going to dominate the team <laughs> for 40, just take it all the way. This is a team that's not making the playoffs. Yeah, it, it was definitely scarier than it had to be. I mean, the Stars outshot the Ducks 14-5 to in that third period. And they kind of did this to San Jose in the last game as well. San Jose took a 2-0 lead. In the first period of their game against the Stars, they played a good 40 minutes essentially because Jamie Benn got a late goal in the second period of that game. And they just poured it on in the third period, scored three goals, ended up beating the Sharks 4 2. It kind of felt like this was going to be that type of game, and the Ducks were able to just to hold on. But yeah, I mean, the, the Stars, 
albeit not in a playoff spot, are really trying to play spoiler. They're one of those teams that I think they're pissed off. They feel like they felt, and a lot of people felt they could have gotten the playoffs, and they're really trying to just spoil some points for for teams. And they made it difficult for the Ducks. Uh, I didn't think this was going to be an easy game, but I felt like the Stars were were just going to be a little bit upset and deflated that they had missed the playoffs. They just were so close. They were pretty much one month away from making it. It was such a poor march for them. They couldn't get in. But, you know, they didn't roll over and die. They played a strong game. No, they didn't. Just a real quick answer, Gordon Bombay in the chat, because he's always in there. i got to answer his question. He says, was your buddy wearing a Kings jersey at the center? No, he was not at Honda Center wearing a Kings jersey. He was very nice. He told me. He's like, <laughs> I didn't commit a jersey foul. He didn't wear a beanie, a hat, a jersey, nothing. He rarely cheered for anything. He was very, very nice. And uh, so, no, he was not one of the guys that is very inappropriate in wearing rival team sweaters when the team's not even playing. I, I can't stand that. I was just asking for trouble. But no, he was not that guy. There's always those, and, and it always seems to me it's the, the Chicago jerseys find their oh, way into God. every possible arena you can find them in. I, I don't understand it. Maybe it's the same guy just doing it everywhere, but I feel like when you always see that third jersey in a game where the team isn't playing, I, I feel like 90% of the time it's a Chicago Blackhawks jersey. I don't know. That's just me, but I feel like I like if I'm remembering, like the back of my head, every time I've seen another jersey, most of the time it's a Chicago jersey. It's it's so bad. That's my biggest nightmare. By the way, is the Chicago game seven I was at. I don't like to relive it too often, but that's why I hate Chicago more than any other team in the league, just because of their fans in Anaheim. More than the Kings, we're not very nice. What's that? More than the Kings? More than Kings? Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I've it's been close. I've been to Staples. And yeah. I've I've been there with uh, with Ducks memorabilia on, and no problems. Yeah, maybe a little booze here and there. San Jose was ruthless, <laughs> ruthless. Food thrown at us, like swear words. Someone threatening to beat up my buddy's fiance. It was bad. The Sharks were not very nice when we were there. Um, but yeah, I've never been to Chicago. I mean, I've been to Chicago. I've never been to a Chicago game. But the fans in Anaheim are not. I mean, I wouldn't even repeat half the stuff they said to me uh, or other or other Ducks fans in that game. It was, it was bad. Yeah, I, I've heard that from Chicago fans. The only the only experience I can go off of is the only game I've actually been to is I went to the the Ducks game at Honda Center against LA, and the fans usually are pretty good. I've heard some horror stories, but I, from my one game experience, it's a lot to draw on. I know, but it, they were pretty good when I was there. Uh, they're always it's always a good atmosphere I feel like I know a lot of people harp on the Ducks for not being able to fill the arena when the Kings come to town but I feel like it's probably difficult because of the close proximity you get a, a mix of probably about 40-60 in LA fans and, and Ducks fans when the, the Kings and Ducks play which I, I guess is expected uh, but the, the only other experience I have is, is going in Toronto and being like one of 10 uh, <laughs> one of 10 Ducks fans at the games people are generally pretty friendly most of the time it's because when I've went, Toronto has just been bad. But the Ducks have had bad experience, and Toronto usually wins that game. Toronto fans are usually pretty friendly, especially when they're in the majority. Well, I mean, Canadians are notoriously like the second nicest culture next to Swedes, right? Like everyone assumes every Canadian is like the nicest person on the planet unless you <laughs> know somebody who's Swedish. They're like the ultimate nice people. And then Canadians, I guess, is number two. I've always heard that about that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of bad people where you're from, but I mean, everybody always says that Canadians are like the nicest people ever. So yeah. I've never been to Canada. On, on some occasions. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. I want to get to the playoff picture right now before we get into anything too crazy with post game. So we got to talk about that. That's a big mm-hmm. topic. 
that people were talking about at the game, both last game and this game, is you know where are the Ducks at? How how does this all sit? You did some homework because I was at the game. You're able to go through and, and punch up some scenarios. Why don't you take us through what the Ducks are looking at right now with only one game left in the season? Yeah, so the there's three matchups they can have right now. They can either play the Sharks, they can either play the Kings, or they can play Vegas. Uh, for the Sharks, they can either play the Sharks uh, where they would get home ice advantage or where they would play um, the Sharks uh, four games in San Jose. So if the Ducks won tomorrow, there is nine possibilities for who they could play in the first round. Eight of them are San Jose. The only time they could play somebody else is if the Ducks won, the Kings won, and the Sharks lost in regulation, the Ducks would play the Kings in the first round. And that's actually the only scenario in which the Ducks and Kings will play in the first round. And I believe, based on that, the Ducks would get home ice advantage against L.A. Uh, so we're rooting for, for that. Yes. Well, yeah, I think so. I think from what I've seen, a lot of people, and it's weird, there was a poll on Ducks and Pucks today where I haven't checked on it lately. I'm going to do that right now. But when I when I had answered, I had answered the Kings. and uh, I answered that too. I said the same thing. Yeah. When I had looked, it was Kings and Vegas in a close tie, and San Jose was the team that people would rather not play. I'm going to go see if I, I can find that right now because I thought that was weird. I, I mean, people are, are hating on Vegas, but here it is right now. So it actually finished San Jose and Vegas 35%. LA 30% with 651 votes. So weird. It actually switched all the way around. But so, I mean, I'll move on here. The Ducks, if they lost in overtime tomorrow, if LA wins in in regulation or in actually in any fashion, uh, the Ducks would end up playing Vegas no matter what San Jose did. Even if San Jose won, they lost, they lost in overtime, the Ducks would play Vegas if they only picked up one point and LA won tomorrow, which is not ideal. and then, But, uh, I mean, as going off that poll, a lot of people believe they should be playing Vegas or over LA. Uh, if the Ducks picked up a point in overtime and LA lost in overtime or lost, and no matter what the Sharks do, the Ducks would play the Sharks in the first round. Uh, and they would not get home ice advantage because, obviously, San Jose would pick up a point. The Ducks need more than a point. They need a win to uh, get home ice advantage over the Sharks because they uh, are t- they'd be tied on row with the win, but their um, their uh, what's it called their uh, secondary tiebreaker is the the season series which the Ducks lost against the Sharks, and for the last and probably the worst outcome is if the Ducks lost tomorrow, any point picked up from LA means the Ducks will play Vegas in the first round. And an LA loss means the Sharks, the uh, Ducks will play the Sharks in the first round. So it looks like, I mean, if you had to go in your betting, it looks like the Ducks will play the Sharks in the first round. Vegas would be your next pick, and there's one out of a possible 27 scenarios here. The Ducks would play the Kings in the first round. And if you're talking about a bloodbath ranking, um, you would say Kings, Sharks, then Vegas. When you're talking about violence in a series, yeah. Um, my buddy Kyle, who's a Kings fan, who I went to the game with tonight. So he doesn't want to play that. He does not want to play the Ducks in the first round or the Sharks. He wants Vegas. He feels like Vegas is very vulnerable. They're not playing great hockey right now. The Kings have had no problem beating them. The Ducks have had no problem beating them as of late. Um, I mean, William Carlson showed the Sharks what was up last week, so we all know how that <laughs> that panned out. But Vegas, I mean, maybe they're they're the vulnerable team. But honestly, they're not a big team. They're not a checking team the way you see the Ducks and and, and uh, Kings play or the Sharks. 
Yeah. So you're not going to get that heavy presence. Maybe you're not going to get injured in the first round series, and you can battle that out in the second round. But God, I'm I'm just I don't. The Ducks just have not been very good in handling the speed game, which is what throws me away from Vegas. And I just love the match. Throw me throw me LA right now. I mean, that's what yeah. I want. I, I want I want the the rivalry. I want the bloodbath. I want it's just the best hockey. I mean, as much as I would be afraid of injuries, it's the best hockey. Just give that to me, and I'll take the Sharks as a consolation prize. Just keep me away from Vegas and Nashville. Yeah, I think Vegas uh, is probably the toughest matchup, just like you said, because of the speed. And, and yeah, everybody likes to talk about, you know, we're hearing all the same stuff we heard at the beginning of the season with Vegas, where they're a new team, they don't have a lot of experience, don't expect them to do well, and then they proved everybody wrong in the regular season, won the Pacific Division title. And now we're hearing the same stuff. Oh, well, they're, they're an inexperienced team. They don't have a lot of playoff experience. You know, they haven't played that great as of late. So I don't know if I really trust them in, in the first round. And then, I mean, what are they going to do? They'll probably just go out there and prove everybody wrong again and beat whoever they play in the first round. And, and I do not want to play four games at T-Mobile Arena. I, I don't. I, it's one of the hardest buildings to win in, in the National Hockey League today. And uh, I would not want to have to go there and play a seven-game series against them. Uh, I, I just feel like that would be the worst possible matchup. I still believe L.A. is the best one. As much as it pains me to see that series, I, I'm in this, kind of the same boat as you. I want to see it, but at the same time, I don't because it's just going to stress me out. Like It's, <laughs> it's the series that's going to stress me out the most because we know if they lose, you're never going to hear the end of it. And we talked about this on the last show. It's going to be held over you more than if the Ducks lost to San Jose. But, um, yeah, and, and I feel like they match up better. I think they won the season series against L.A. And the Sharks, they ended up losing. But either one of those two, Sharks or Kings, are going to be close one-goal games, probably a six- or seven-game series, just a bloodbath. And uh, Vegas is just going to be sitting there waiting for whoever is able to survive through that series. Yeah, I got three words for you. Mark andre Fleury. Yeah. Say what you want about that That's guy. all the playoff experience you need right there. He's great. Your goalie's got to be your best player in the playoffs just has to be you can win a close game you can get a dirty goal and you just got to hope your goalie stands up and stands on his head in a, in a game where you can't compete and Fleury's been there done that I mean you can say what you want about him against his his series where he's faltered a bit but the guy's got two two cups he wins in there until the until the, uh, the conference final where, where Matt Murray had to take over but I mean Mark yeah. Andre Fleury's no joke so I mean you got to you got to pay attention to the crease there in Vegas and I, I just don't want to see that team um you want to move on here from here yeah, I think so. I, I mean, right. we might be able to. Yeah, I think I think we've kind of killed the playoff matchups. Really, next tomorrow's post game show because we'll know who they play. I think that's when we can go really in depth because we'll know the matchup and, and we can actually break down how they match up against whether it's LA, the, the Sharks, or Vegas. And I suck. I may not be available for tomorrow night's show. It might be a Sunday morning show. Hope no one kills me on that. <laughs> um. It's, We've had, it's had a lot going on, so I, yeah. I apologize for that. But the playoffs should be much smoother. Um, I don't know how much everybody is into going to Corsica and if they pay you know, the Patreon and all that to support them. But Corsica does, does analytics, for those of you who don't know. And Eddie and I are dorks, and we love hockey so much that we like to nerd out in the matics of it all. But you found this really cool stat called WAR, which has been widely known in baseball as wins above replacement. And they apply it to hockey. And it's pretty interesting, the findings you're able to come up with, especially with the players such as Andre Kasha and John Gibson. 
Yeah, it's it's been applied to hockey before, but I think this is maybe the second time Korska has actually put it up. Well, it could be the first, but I believe it's been up somewhere before. However, they finally just got it back up and working on the site, and I went and checked it out today. And of course, if if you had to, if you had to pick one player, and I know we've discussed this, and, and anybody in the chat, if you if you want to chime in on this, if you had to pick one player who you think would be leading the National Hockey League in war, who would you pick? Uh, I, I, I mean, Patrick, I'll give you a guess, and I'll let anybody want to guess in the chat if they can, but I, f- I feel like the answer is pretty obvious. Um, in war, I would either say Raquel or Kasha. No, no, I mean in the National Hockey League, like for anybody, like for any team, oh. any player, yeah. Oh, who leads? Yes. Okay. Well, that's – come on, man. That's the yeah. guy with the most even straight points. You're talking about Connor McDavid. Yeah, and it's not even close. Uh, I mean, he his uh, wins by replacement is 7.16. So that means if you replace him with an average player, the Oilers win seven less games than they have with him in the lineup. He's almost a full point higher than the next highest person with the Jonathan Quick, which is which kind of surprised me a bit. I mean, goaltenders usually get a, a bit of a boost in this. I think there is uh, five or six goaltenders in the top ten, but he's the highest with 6.21 wins above replacement. And uh, our boy John Gibson is sitting right behind him in a tie with Sergei Bravovsky at 5.82. So John Gibson is the highest duck on the list. No surprise there because uh, he's just been that good this season. If he, He's won almost six games uh, above an average goaltender would with the Ducks this year. I'm finally starting to hear his, hear his name pop up in media a bit. Yeah. You can make a case for Gibson for the Vezina. I've heard that. I heard Greg Wyshynski say that on the pod, uh, one of his podcasts. Uh, but always behind Pecorine, and honestly, I mean, let's just you know tip our hats to where we should tip our hats. I mean, Pecorine's had a hell of a year. Mm-hmm. Never won the Vesna. He's in like the twilight of his career. Really, he's not going to have very ma- very many more seasons like this, and he's putting up a hell of a year. So you kind of got to give it to him. But it's nice to hear Gibby, and nice to see the underlying stats show that he's very much deserved of that. Now I, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a uh, or put out a name here. I don't think you would have expected. Um, war per 82 games Ryan Miller sits 7th above John Gibson just below Jonathan Quick in the war per 82 games <laughs> I mean he, well, he's, he's got a, yeah. uh, he's got a better save percentage right I mean I know he's I played so, yeah. much less games but he's got let's look at the stats Miller's got a 927 that was before was that before or after tonight I don't know but I know that that Probably was... Probably after tonight, or before tonight, because I think he's... Before tonight. tonight, so yeah. For 9-2-7. Not, not a shabby save percentage. You're talking the league average is like 9-18 this year around there, 9-15, 9-18. Yeah. If you're a 9-20 goalie, you're a starting goalie. 9-27 as a backup is a pretty money number, I feel like. And he's come in in a lot of different situations. It is surprising just because of his role in the team, but he's mm-hmm. a hell of a player, and he was just a, he was just a starter a year ago. Yeah, uh, War Per 82 seems to favor backups a bit because it, it kind of puts one on a level playing field. Uh, Paul Campbell, his boy UC Soros is number one. Antti Rantz is number two. And Philip Grubauer is number three. All are backup goalies for pretty good teams, uh, well, obviously, except for Antti Ranta. So that, uh, they're up pretty high. The last one I wanted to look at, uh, of course, Corsica crashes when I'm trying to look at it. But I remember from earlier today... <laughs> Um, Andre Kasha, so in war per 60, which puts it even at even more of a level playing field. Uh, Andre Kasha had .13 last time I checked, 
which was good enough for 25th, put him on the same level, in at least in war per 60. And I know it does, it's not the be-all, end-all stat. It doesn't say he's at the same level as this player, but he had the same war per 60 as Matthew Barzell, uh, which was insane. Uh, and he was sitting around some pretty good company as well. Uh, Genny Malkin had the same number. James Van Riemsdijk, Jordan Eberle, they all have uh, a .13 uh, war per 60 as well. Clojure is a .14. Brad Marsh on a .15. I, I mean, he's sitting in some pretty good company. No, he is, man. Barzell's no joke. He's probably the runaway for the Calder this year, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's been a beast. Just You see highlight after highlight of him going around and, and putting pucks in and making great plays. So that's really good uh, really good company for Andre Costa for sure. Yeah, and I'm going to round it out here with uh, I want you to take a guess at who is the lowest in war for the for the Ducks this year. I oh, feel like, again, yeah, it's that's, probably that's, uh, an easy guess, but... I mean, it would definitely be Clayton Stoner if he was still on the Ducks, but since yeah. he's not, I'm going to say it's Kevin Biaxa. Yeah, negative 1.0. Yeah. Actually, it, it, technically it's Sammy Votnin, but he played such a small amount of games with the Ducks, I'm not going to include him. Uh, so then it's Kevin Biaxa by a wide margin. Only, uh, only people even kind of closer, Wagner, Dennis Rasmussen... Jason Chimera, but they're they're still like point five points away from where Bochum is. So I'm sorry, where Kevin BX is. So I, I mean, no surprise there. But uh, I I mean, even Gordon Bombay and Derek Lockwood both guessed in the chat Kevin BX. Of course, so. they all know how we feel about that guy. Super nice. I hate that we have to bash players. Yeah, but it's kind of our job to kind of you know pick where we have to pick in order to just show negativity. We can't be the the Homer podcast for sure. Um, I, I think get we to can. An interesting yeah. Go ahead, so I was going to say, I think we can move on from, from the war chat. I feel like everybody in the chat is probably getting a little bit uh, a little bit sleepy listening to us talk, uh, talk analytics a bit. <laughs> like, what's all this war talk? What are we <laughs> talking about here? Um, I want to talk about NHL.com's five reasons the Ducks clinched a playoff spot. And they gave the ranking one through five as to impact as to why it happened that way. Did you agree with those top five? Was that kind of what you felt like? I, I, I thought it was strange. Number one was Henrik's impact. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm starting to wonder if that was a ranking of one to five in most importance, or they just or they just, just listed they it one like. to five. I feel like it, I think they just listed it one to five, probably. Um, for anybody not who doesn't know, the the five they had were uh, Henrik's impact, goaltending, surviving adversity, Cash's case, and scoring depth. Now I feel like pretty much all of those are accurate. Uh, we will start with we'll start with Adam. We'll start with their number one, uh, Adam Henrique's impact with his team. Uh, I, I feel like that has to be a reason why they clinched. I mean, he's got 33 points in 55 games with the Ducks so far, 19 goals, 14 assists. He he really helped keep the Ducks afloat while Ryan Getzlaff and Ryan Kessler were all both out of the lineup until they returned in December. Uh, you know he's been a big part of this team even when they have been back and really now solidified a third line that is uh, scary at times for the Ducks. His impact has been immense for, for Anaheim since he's become a Duck. Seven game-winning goals. Yeah, that also speaks volumes. But a guy coming to a team like that on a trade, I just you can't ask for much more than the way he's been playing. He's just been a massive piece for the Anaheim Ducks. And with all the injuries and everything, as much as everyone loves Sammy, I mean, you can't deny the impact that Adam Henrique has. And he has another year on his contract here in Anaheim, which is even better. I mean, this is great for the Ducks. I mean, you don't have to just give up a defenseman and then 
get a piece that you're going to give away either or have to resign. Uh, he's got a bit of a shooting percentage, which is great. He's shooting a 20% right now, which is wonderful. <laughs> Obviously, that's going to regress a bit. But, I mean, I'll take it, man. We need to get this guy burning and hot again before we get to the playoffs because he's really, really done a great job, and I've been really impressed with him this year. Yeah, for sure. And he's going to be a big part if the Ducks actually make a long run in the playoffs as well. The second one I think they've listed here is probably the most important, in my opinion, and that's goaltending. I mean, it has to be. Uh, and not just John Gibson. I mean, he's having a Vesna-worthy season. Unfortunately, been hampered with injuries a couple times this season so far. But Ryan Miller as well. Uh, and this was as of last night. But he has a 2.43 goals against average and a 9.27 save percentage with three shutouts in 26 games. A 10-6-6 record until obviously tonight, which that improved to 11-6-6. He's just been arguably one of the better backups in the National Hockey League. Probably top five. I know there's some very good ones out there like Carter Hutton and Philip Grubauer and UC Saros. But he's up in the discussion, which is insane because he's 37 years old. Uh, I mean, he's been a revelation this year for the Ducks to kind of solidify that uh, second spot behind John Gibson, and he's really pushed him to be a better goaltender this year. No, it's true. I mean, we talked a little bit about Ryan Miller earlier, but, I mean, John Gibson has progressively played more and more games every season. We talk about his injuries, but in 2015, 2016, he played 40 games, started 40 games, or played 40 games, and then 2016, 2017, 52, and then this year he's played 60 games. Mm -hmm. So he's actually kicked up his value, I feel like. He's had a great year, and 926 save percentage is awesome, along with four shutouts, and he's had a lot of quality starts. He has probably – it it is his best quality start percentage he's had in his career. Um, He had Vesna votes in the 2015-16 season, so why the hell would he not get them now? If he's not a a finalist, he really had an injustice done to him. Um, You can't say enough about this guy. You want to talk about his injuries, fine, but he's played the most games in his career this year, and he's had freak injuries. It's not like he's stretching over and doing the splits and making an awkward save, and he blows out his groin muscle or has a knee injury. I mean, he's getting clipped and run into a bunch this year, Mm -hmm. which is strange and unfortunate, but I mean, he and Ryan Miller have held the fort. We talked, we've been talking about it since we've been doing this podcast, and then you and I separately on our own shows. Goaltending's yeah. been the name of the game for Anaheim, and the only reason why they're at where they're at. Do you think John Gibson's recent injury, because of the timing of it, because he looks to be shut down for the rest of the season, well, obviously, I doubt he starts tomorrow. Do you think it hurts his <laughs> chances for the Vesna uh, in terms of recency bias? I mean, people haven't seen him in, what, five, four or five games now? You would assume he would have continued to strong play. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think it does, but people always love the, the recency bias and seeing seeing goaltenders play on a regular basis. I don't think he's going to get favorable uh, favorable views on his game because no one watches him. I don't think I, I, I hate that that everyone says it's a cliche. You know, it's you know East Coast bias. No one watches West Coast hockey, but I mean they don't. Who turns into an Anaheim Ducks game if you're not from Anaheim? Who turns yeah. them on? Nobody, nobody turns on those games. Well, I no know. one here. I mean, <laughs> yo, no, no. You know what I mean? Unless you're a you Ducks mean, fans yeah. like us, like Rangers fans, don't turn on. Oh, I wonder what Ryan Getzloff's doing there. Let's yeah. turn on the Ducks game. I, don't, I really have a hard time feeling like they get national coverage because they don't. I mean, when are they on regular NBC? They always get NBCSN, maybe an NHL Network game, but I just feel like they don't get enough viewership for people to notice what kind of numbers he's put up. I mean, they've only been really starting to talk about him really recently it's not like they've been like oh he's had a great second half it's like john gibson wow we just kind of noticed his numbers he's up there in save percentage yeah i just feel like they just don't get enough viewership of him he's he's just hidden here in anaheim 
Yeah, and, and I also feel like if the Ducks were just just killing everybody this year, if they were like a top Western Conference team, I feel like then he'd probably get a little bit more recognition recognition as well. But they're fighting for it. I mean, you don't if you don't watch this team on a regular basis and you just kind of check the standings and you see that the Ducks on most times were either in the wild card on the outside looking in or just hanging on to that third Pacific Division spot, you probably wouldn't think to yourself that they're having a good season from their top number one goaltender. I mean, it just you don't really think about that when you know if they were, you would assume that they would probably be near the top of the Pacific Division, if not leading it. But uh, I think that kind of goes into it a bit. I mean, I would think if the Ducks were having a Nashville-type season, John Gibson would have been noticed a little bit earlier because people would have been looking into why they were doing so well, and then they would have seen his numbers a bit earlier. Uh, you know, it's funny because the the really when it started gaining traction is right before we had, probably a week before we had Paul Campbell on the show. Uh, we started seeing some things trickle out, and then he put his tweet out talking about how he had just found and looked at all these different numbers, Delta save percentage, regular, raw save percentage, goal saved above average, and how John Gibson was sitting just above, if not around, where Rene was. And that's where everything started kicking off, and then it took a little bit uh, of traction there. John Gibson started playing a lot better, and, and it really started gaining some steam. And now, of course, he's missed a couple games with injury now, and it's kind of all gone away. <laughs> we haven't really haven't really heard much about it. I haven't heard much about the Vesna in general, but his name has kind of disappeared since he got injured. Uh, but I feel like he's kind of in the same boat as another guy that we felt earlier when we had the discussion with Paul is underrated as Sergei Bobrovsky because Columbus is kind of in a similar position. They were fighting for a playoff spot. They're not a traditional market where you're just sitting at home and you say, you know what, I'm going to watch the Blue Jackets today. I'm going to see how Nick Foligno or, <laughs> or Sergei Bobrovsky are doing. And then all of a sudden you notice that he's actually quietly having a, a, a very good season. No, it's true. That's totally true. Um, and let's be let's be real, man. Canadians hate Americans and Russians. So there you go. They don't like John Gibson and uh, they don't like Bobrovsky. So I'll just throw that on there for you guys too. Well, I, are you like are you saying that all Canadians are Don Cherry? Or <laughs> I, I feel like that's the stereotype that's getting getting thrown out here because I don't have you. Like, this is a, an actual question because I feel like uh, most of the people listening right now are probably from the U.S. H- how often do you guys hear Don Cherry? Or is it just like an every, like, once in a while kind of thing? Well, since I don't get Sportsnet, I unfortunately probably only see the worst because I see the highlight clips. Yeah. I see the clips of him talking online, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, every broadcast he has is, is like that, but, <laughs> like... <laughs> It, I I honestly I've said I used to not mind it when I was a kid because I probably I just I didn't want I didn't like understand hockey at the same level when I was was younger but you watch him now and I just sit there and I I feel really bad for Ron McLean I, I he's just babysitting every time he's up there and and I don't understand how Don Cherry is still on TV other than the fact that he's been there so long I feel like everybody's afraid to just say hey you know we're we're kicking you off for some of the stuff you've said. Because he, he usually goes on a rant where he says something offensive pretty much every show. And it's just, <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I'm like, Don, like, wh-? you watch it because you, you want to see him say something like that. But then you're watching and you just regret watching it instantly. Because some of the stuff he says is just, it's insane. Like, and, and a it's lot a train of it, wreck. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, like, he's very, very Canadian. Where uh, he loves his Canadian boys and uh, he I mean he hates Russians I mean he's he's publicly said that before <laughs> I'm not too sure how he feels about Americans but I'm assuming he, he pretty much loves 
just Canadians based off what we've seen. And I've seen enough of him that, and I think everybody in Canada has. Some people still love him, but uh, I'm on. I've kind of jumped shift and, and moved the other way. It's the old timers. Um, yeah. Interesting to note, man games lost on Twitter. They track every team in the NHL. I think they do all sports, really all major sports. They track how many games have been lost due to injury. The Ducks, as of last night, rank fourth behind Montreal, Buffalo, and Vancouver, and then just ahead of Boston. Um, and then you look at the impact of that. Interesting to note here just how much adversity the Ducks have been dealing with if we get past the goaltending on NHL.com's rankings. Yeah. They're saying the Ducks have lost 22.1 points in the standings lost due to injured players this year. Jeez. That's incredible. Yeah. Vegas is ahead of them. By, they have 29.1 points. How does Vegas? How are they behind 29 points? That's crazy. Is and that then Winnipeg Mark, is third. Uh, Mark Andre Fleur. So, so Vegas, Vegas lost 29.1 points due to injury? So the way the tweet is, is read, it says NHL top five, comma, points and standings lost due to injured players. Okay. So it says uh, lost points metric, lost points and standings due to injured players. Vegas is first with 29.1 points lost. Ducks, 22.1. Winnipeg, 18.4. Boston, 18.2. And Colorado, 16.6. That's the top five in the NHL. So the Ducks are second then. That's crazy. 22 points in yeah. standings. I, I feel like Vegas is first because uh, when they had that whole goalie debacle where they they were oh, like running Mac, like uh, Maxim Legasse for like uh, two weeks or something like that. I feel like that's probably why they're that high. But no surprise, the Ducks are up there. Uh, oh, I mean, the guys that they've lost and and I, I mean, thanks for getting us back on track here. We we're diving down a rabbit hole uh, with Don Cherry, but <laughs> surviving uh, surviving adversity for that man has been a big part of why they. They actually clinched the playoff spot, so NHL.com hit it, hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, Cam, Gibson's been hurt on, on occasion. Cam Fowler is the latest injury, but going back all the way to the beginning of the season, Lindholm was out for some time. Obviously, Kessler was out for the majority of, of the first part of the season. Getzlaff missed 19 games after fracturing his cheekbone. I remember when that happened, I don't think we all thought he was going to miss as many games as he ended up missing. And what a key piece he was to have out of the lineup for the Ducks. Uh, it's been insane that they've actually been able to muster somewhat of a competitive season. And it makes you a little bit more hopeful for playoffs knowing that you know they, they could have been 22 points better per se if they had everybody injured for the everybody healthy for the entire season. Yeah, and that's based a lot, I feel like, on past performance plus what they put yeah. up this season in points. So it's, you know, it's great to look at, but it just shows you how much adversity the Ducks – have faced this year and if you want to get to a player here NHL.com talks about Andre Kasha yeah. and that was their number 4 and how could you not look at him as a huge piece, 65 games played 20 goals, 18 assists and the big thing that stood out to me with him though Eddie was he has 5, five game winning goals, I mean yeah. he's been there when the Ducks have needed him, I know that's kind of a weird stat because if you win 5-3 to three, the person who scored the 4th goal if you win 7-2 to two, the person who scored the 3rd goal gets the game winning goal but Andre Kosh has been involved in key points for this Ducks team, and that's huge. They need a player like that to step up, and he's really been a big piece along with Adam Henrique. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about recently for Andre Kasha, where he's had uh, two of the biggest goals of his career, essentially. He had the game winner uh, against Colorado in overtime. And then he had the the game where uh, against Minnesota with his third period goal to get his twentieth of the season. 
I mean, those are yep. just two recent game-winning goals that he's had that have had significant impact on the Ducks' season and the fact that they're able to clinch a, a playoff spot. I mean, not even to take into account everything he's done up until that point, just those two goals are so huge for the Ducks. I mean, just they were the big reason they were able to clinch when they were. If, they, if those aren't scored and if the Ducks end up losing points in those games, you're looking at a very different scenario right now heading into this last game of the season. So even just those two goals are huge. But the fact that he's hit 20 goals, nobody expected this. I mean, a former seventh-round draft pick for the, the, the Ducks. I mean, this is St. Josh Manson's in that same boat. I think he was a sixth-round draft pick. The Ducks find these impact players from nowhere. And it's just been insane. If you have to look at the two guys who have stepped up their game from last year this year and have really impressed, it's Josh Manchin and Andre Kasha. And these are two low draft picks when they are initially drafted. It's insane the, the how much they've been able to step up this year. Uh, Andre Kasha is just on another level right now. Second in goals behind Ricard Raquel. Second in Ducks forwards and plus minus behind Ryan Getzlaff. He just makes an impact every time he's on the ice. He's played 65 games for Anaheim this year. If you tick him up to playing all 81 that we've been through so far, you pretty much feel like he'd be right in the 50-something, almost 60-point range. That's just how much he's been effective for the Ducks. I could easily see him potting 20 points in those 15, 16 games, getting on a streak. You never know. I mean, he's just a dynamic player who can make things happen. Um, Obviously, we'll see what happens in the years to come. I mean, now the teams know who he is. You can target him more. He's going to get he's going to get big minutes, and he's going to get that nice contract this summer. Hopefully, with the Ducks, uh, and we've all talked about that at nauseum, really about what his next contract is going to be like. So I don't want to jump down that rabbit hole, um, as you and I can talk at length what we think is going to happen. But uh, he's going to be a nice piece. Anytime you get a twenty goal score, you got to lock him up. Um, not much you could say other than Andre Kosh has been just a huge surprise for Anaheim and one that we hope that uh, we keep around. Yeah, and, and that kind of contributes to the last thing that NHL.com had as the the fifth reason the Ducks are able to clinch a, a playoff spot, and that was the scoring depth. And it lists here that the Ducks have five players with at least 16 goals and 10 with at least 10 goals. And the, the the guy they really identify as depth scoring is Derek Grant. And he has 23 points, 11 goals in 64 games. And it says here it took him five seasons with five different teams to get his first NHL goal. And now he's at 23 points this year and has been a real mainstay on the Ducks' fourth line and has been that kind of Swiss Army knife where he's been able to move up and down the lineup based on when guys have been injured. And he's played second-line center, he's played first-line center, he's played third-line center, he's played fourth-line center, he's played pretty much every center position you can for the Ducks. He has been a very impressive piece for the Ducks and, and probably the guy... You know, Andre Cash is a big surprise, but I think if you look at who you you know, we never thought, I didn't think Derek Grant was going to be a big piece of this team. I didn't think he was going to play 64 games. I didn't think he was going to play 10 games for the Ducks, and he ends up having 23 points. Yeah, you know, I think that's what we've talked about with him, too, is yeah. that he's going to be that bottom, that bottom, that bottom center. He's going to be third or fourth, most likely the fourth line centers, because our top nine, we've said night in and night out, is set. But uh, that fourth line center role is definitely going to be owned by Derek Grant. I feel like he's, he's earned that contract after this season. Vermette's not going to come back. We pretty much know that he hasn't played a game. I mean, maybe he ha- he played a game kind of recently, but it was I think it was due to injury, right? And then Gensel had the flu. That's why he subbed in. Yeah. I think why that Vermette got to get some minutes in. 
Um, but yeah, Derek Grant, you got to hand it to the guy. Twenty-four points actually. He got the he got the goal tonight. He got the the second tip, as you said earlier. So he's got twelve and twelve on the season. Good for him, man. He's only three points behind our boy Nick Ritchie. So you got our fourth line center and our first round draft pick, uh, three points separated. And Ritchie's played ten more games. So go figure how that's going to work for Nick Ritchie this summer. I know, I know, I'm a Nick Ritchie hater. I guess you could say, <laughs> but <laughs> hats off to Derek Grant. He's had a decent year, I feel like, and he's you know the Ducks needed some scoring at that point in the season. He was able to help out. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just anything else you want to mention that because I, I kind of want to move on to to something interesting. I don't know if everybody saw it today or not. Go ahead. All right. So if you guys didn't see this today, the NHL announced that there will be actually be a tiebreaker extra game. If teams are tied for the final playoff spot, and that means they're tied on all, I think, three or four of the tiebreakers that they have. I've never seen this before because I don't think we've ever got this late in the season where it's actually been a possibility of happening. This year, there is a possibility because right now, going into tonight, the Philadelphia Flyers currently occupy the final wildcard spot, and the Florida Panthers are the only team capable of catching them currently. The Flyers have 81 games played. Panthers had 80 games played. Both are tied in row and the teams have split their season series. Philadelphia is currently a plus three in goal differential. Florida is a minus one, so they would have to get even on those to, to be in the tiebreaker. So if that is the thing, if that's the case, a tiebreaking game will be played, and there will be an equally weighted draw conducted by the league to determine who will get home ice advantage. And then if the score is tied at the end of that game, it goes into playoff rules for overtime, so they play 20-minute overtime sudden-death hockey. I mean, this would just be an insane game. I think every, this would probably be the only game on at the time. Everybody would watch this game because it'd be like one little mini playoff game, kind of like the wild card game in baseball. It would just be insane to see these two teams somehow go through an entire 82 game season being tied on three different tiebreakers and have to play an extra 83rd game of the season. This this league is so stupid. Why, why is this <laughs> the thing that they're going to throw yeah. in with three games to go? What are you doing? Like, you can't pick another tiebreaker. You're going to put an 83rd game on the schedule for two teams. Like, really? That's necessary? You can't do, like, oh, goals four? I mean, really, Philadelphia wins that one outright. They have 246 goals for two, against 240 um, for the Florida Panthers. Like, what is the deal with that? I don't understand it, man. I, I, I think it's cool. But, like, the fact that they can't solve goaltender interference and they can't solve the offside issues, um, they can't get rid of, all, get rid of headshots, they can't figure out what supplemental, dis- uh, supplemented, uh, supplemental discipline is. They, they, let, they let Brad Marchand cross-check a guy in the face and uh, go away with a fine. But uh, all of a sudden, now they make up all these rules they are going to add a, a, just this weird game that's going to count uh, for a playoff spot. I, I just – I like it. But I just don't understand the league at this point. Like they just make stuff up as they go along, night in and night out. I, I don't understand it at all. Yeah, I mean, Drew in, in the chat, he actually said he thinks it's a great idea, and he said he heard that the stats will actually count as playoff stats if they do play in those games. So technically, you would have seven teams with seventeen teams with playoff stats. Uh, so whoever lost would have just one game of playoff stats and then the other team would have that one extra game which would be interesting if that one team went the entire way and you were trying to look at who won the con Smythe and this guy had an extra game play. Ah. I feel like that would be interesting but I, I feel like it's it would be a cool game but it's it's very very weird to throw it in now I feel like if, if you you know obviously you don't know that's going to happen and they don't expect it to really ever happen that often but you had to think at some point you might have to deal with this 
Yeah, I mean you you you've set up this this point system. You've set up the the regulation overtime wins to try and avoid that. But then you also have all these other tiebreakers. But at some point, you had to think that there, at some sort of random chance that this could happen. And you would want to mention this maybe at the beginning of the season and say, hey, if this is to happen, we're going to have this tiebreaker game. Instead of saying, oh, we're th- you know we're three days away from the re- end of the regular season. If this happens, we're going to have an 83rd game, which is going to count as a, technically as a playoff game for stats, but it's going to be like a weird in-between limbo game where it doesn't count for either, but it determines who gets in the playoffs. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm on the same boat as you. Just come up with a third or an, an extra tiebreaker somehow. I, I feel like that's probably an easier way of them doing this tiebreaker game. But you know, the tiebreaker game makes the money, so that's probably uh, the better route to go if if you're the the NHL. Oh no, for sure, and it'll be on NBC because uh, oh, yeah. Philadelphia will be involved. It'll be so everywhere. It'll definitely be on NBC. <laughs> yeah, it'll be on NBC for sure. Yeah, Philadelphia will somehow. It is uh, interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and I, it would I'll be a fun game watch. to watch. Yeah, I 100%, would too. I'll be in. Everybody I'm sold will watch. On it. It's this one, league is just so game. dumb. I, I just don't know how they just they, they just make things up all the time. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. get it. I yeah. just understand. I found it funny that they just announced this, and, and you... Uh, <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, people were kind of mocking all day. You sent me a tweet by Dave Loza where he put out the uh, same kind of similar press release about uh, an extra game being played for the Blackhawks for missing the playoffs, <laughs> and it was all about them getting like an extra stadium series game or whatnot, which was was pretty funny. People were making fun of it all day and and for good reason, but as much as I want to make fun of it, I mean I would watch it. I mean I feel like most people would watch it too. But uh, you know I, somehow uh Philadelphia would, would win that um that uh, draw to have it on home ice so they could air it on NBC. I got to read the part of the, the Blackhawks, the fake Blackhawks press release. It was done the exact same part. It's funny. It says at the conclusion of the regular season, the Chicago Blackhawks will not qualify for the playoffs, so the following procedure will apply. The Blackhawks will play an outdoor game. <laughs> an equally weighted draw will be conducted by the league promptly upon the conclusion of the last game of the regular season on Sunday to determine which non-playoff team will face the Blackhawks in this outdoor game. <laughs> I'll cut it there. If you guys don't know, I'll retweet it. It's funny. And uh, if you don't like the Blackhawks, you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But it's just kind of what the league does. They just make stuff up as they go along. I thought I was – and I will tune in. As much as I'm hating on it, I would definitely watch it. But I'm with you, Eddie. Just announce it at the beginning of the year. It's how it's going to work. Or yeah. just say it's like if you have a negative uh, goal differential and then the team has a positive goal differential, then you lose. Like that's just what the tiebreaker is. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I want to get to a question that I had put in our notes here. That uh, it's kind of fitting with this being Boschman's last home game for the Ducks or for of his career in general. I wanted to know where you think he ranks on the all-time D list for the Ducks. And there's a lot of good, there's a lot of headlining names on there: Scott Niedermeyer, Chris Pronger. So, where do you think he he ranks uh, among all those players? Uh, he's obviously behind the likes of um, Clayton Stoner. And uh, Lucas Pisa, Kevin BX uh... he's behind all those guys now for real. Honestly, Francois Beauchemin, um, that's a tough one, man. He's played a lot of games for the Ducks uh, as a defender. I think he's played the most, second most, to uh, to Ruslan Soleil, who was one of my favorite players growing up. Um, unfortunately, he's not around anymore. He's involved in a horrific plane crash years ago. But uh, Francois Beauchemin. If you go purely points, he's third. But if you got to, I mean, do you really want to rank him up there with like 
Pronger, Niedermeyer, even Frederick Olison in his heyday with Anaheim was scoring yeah. goals. He was that he did the backdoor play all the time on the power play. That was a big deal for Anaheim when he played here. Lubomir Vishnovsky had great um, great games for the Ducks. Ah, shoot, you got to put him top ten, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's... Frankie, Frankie deserves a top ten. Yeah, it's it's so close because I mean you know you know Niedermeyer and Pronger are one two. There's no getting around it. There's I don't think there's any really competition with those two to to bump them out of that spot. And then you've got other names like Oleg Tevrodovsky. You've got Rusan Soleil, like you said, Luber Vishnovsky. Even current Ducks players and, and Cam Fowler. Uh, I mean, he sits second. In, in points for the Ducks, he sits, I think, third in games played. So he has to be on that list, right? I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that when you know he's currently playing for the Ducks, but he, you would still want to include him on that list. Boschman, I do believe, is top ten, but I think it's, it's very difficult to put him in top five. As much as he's done for this team, and, and you can't really look at what he's done recently. Obviously, being 37, it's very hard for him to compete and keep up in the National Hockey League, but I think there's a case to put him in above some guys' top five, but I, I think it's difficult. No, I agree with you, man. Um, and I got to say, Oleg Tverdowski is not a very nice guy. I've met him. <laughs> not a very good dude, uh, at least off the rink. So he's not in my top ten, just purely based on that. Um, <laughs> Francois Beauchamp could take his spot in my heart any day, any time. But uh, when you're talking skill and what he's done like offensively, I mean, you're talking Tverdowski's a great player in that respect. Yeah. But yeah, man, you got to go Camp Fowler's in that top five, Niedermeyer, Pronger. Um, honestly, I would have to put. Oh, shoot, dude. I. You put Soleil in your top five because of just his service for the Ducks? Uh, he, I loved that guy when he played. I really yeah. did. I thought he was a great player for the Ducks. He's he's a really beloved guy in Anaheim, too. Um, just really unfortunate what happened with him, obviously, and, and all his teammates. But, yeah, I think I would. He was a good defense, defenseman. Um, yeah, but Bosch has got to be in, in the top ten. Yeah. He's got to be. Yeah, there's no way he falls out. out. Yeah, there's no way he falls outside the top ten. I think there's a there's a argument to be had to put him in the top five. I don't think he makes it top three, but uh, top five is definitely a spot where he could fall. And if not, he he's not too far outside the top five. He's definitely in the top ten, and and he will be a top ten defenseman for the foreseeable future until guys like Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm. Uh, I was about to say Sammy Votnick because his name's bolded here, but he's no longer a duck. So until those guys get up and, and catch up, and maybe even Brandon Montour, depending on if he spends his entire career with the Ducks, are, are names we could see added to that list later down the road. But I think the only current Ducks player you could really argue is Cam Fowler would probably still even be possibly in the top five. Yeah, no, he's definitely got to be up there. He's, he's probably one of the best skated defensemen Anaheim's ever seen. You could put him right up there with, with Scott Niedermeyer. Yeah. Um, his puck handling skills are off the chart, too. His, his scoring's not where we've always expected it to be. There's always that He's the next great this or the next great that, and he just hasn't been, which is fine because he's Cam Fowler, and Cam Fowler's been a hell of a player for the Ducks, even though he's gotten a lot of crap until we all realized how good of a player he was when he gets paired with, I don't know, with a guy who can skate with Brandon mm-hmm. Montour. So, yeah, no, you got to put Cam up there too. I agree with you on that. Yeah, interesting question from Chase on the same point here. He said, does Boschman get a number of retirement ceremony in the future? No, that's not yeah. happening. 
No, I, and, and Drew brings up a good... enough individual. Yeah, and Drew brings up a good point, too. He said, I think there's still too many names ahead of him. I mean, you've got Paul Correa, you've got Jay Giz, you mentioned here, and then you even have Getz and Perry when they retire. That would probably go in before Boshin would even get the shot at it. And, and there's some other names you could argue. I mean, people have argued Scotty Niedemeyer, which I don't think is possible now. I don't think you can be retired by two teams, can you? I don't, I'm, I'm um, not sure I'd have to look into that, but he has been retired uh, by the, the New Jersey Devils. So it'd be interesting to see if he could do that. But I would still put his name in front of Boschman. Um, Pronger would be a difficult one because he only played 220 games for the Ducks. I, I don't think he would be a number that would get retired, but I'd probably still put him above uh, Francois Boschman if that was to be the case. I mean, it's a nice gesture, and I feel yeah. like I'm a lot more lenient on my opinions when it comes to who we're going to let retire, what player's number as a team. I'm way more strict when I'm talking about Hall of Fame. I feel like the Hall of Fame inductee committees really just took a dump all over whatever their standards are. They let everybody <laughs> in, I feel like. They're just like, yeah. oh, hey, yeah, you're a good guy. We played hockey together years ago. You can come in. When it comes to teams, though, it's about the feeling to the fans and like, what they meant to the organization. So... I mean, you could be a little more lenient with that, but yeah, I agree. I, I feel like um, you got to go Paul first, and then Jaguar after that, and then let's wait a bit. Let's give yeah. it a bit. I mean, this league, uh, this organization, rather, has only been around for, I mean, relatively a short time compared to other teams. So, I mean, I know we got Timu up there, but let's let's take it a little slow. Let's see what, we, what really shakes out in this organization before we start throwing everybody up there. I mean, obviously, like I said, yeah. Jiggy and Paul next, but then after that, let's, let's cool it off. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing before we get into some more discussion I want I want to touch on, because Goran Bromberry brought it up in the chat. Uh, the forcing everyone to retire Wayne Gretzky's number, so the fact that it was retired by the, the league, is just weird. Is it not? I mean, he said it. Gordon Bombay says in the chat it's weird. I agree it's weird. It's just such, I mean, it's going to be the only time it's ever going to happen. You know, nobody nobody's going to retire 97 across the entire league when Connor McDavid retires. I mean, nobody's going to retire 8 across the entire National Hockey League when Ovechkin retires. I, I understand Gretzky is, is arguably the greatest player ever to play the game but it, it's such a weird situation to just retire his number everywhere and not allow any other team to ever use it it's just i, I don't know how do you feel about that i'm okay with it yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. oh yeah yeah yeah. as long as she's the only one ever yeah that's what i feel like um yeah. like every, it's like i've played hockey a lot of my life and you just hate those guys even you know in nothing games like you're playing beer league you i played in high school hockey and you see guys wearing 66 or 68 or 99, you're like, you dipshit. Sorry for the swear <laughs> word there. But, like, it's like, dude, you're not that guy. Like, don't yeah. pretend to be that dude. Everyone gets upset about those guys. Um, and I feel like he's got more assists than anyone else has points. So suck yeah. it up. Deal with it, man. I mean, he's the greatest player. He's the, he's the most dynamic player of his generation. Sure, the guys around now are more talented just because of, you know, the training and the athleticism. And, like, they're yeah. bred to be these types of players. But, I mean, Gretzky brought hockey – to the world and to the west coast and he's he's been the biggest ambassador for the sport in my opinion um he deserves it and i feel like that's a great number to have retired so i have no problem with no one else being able to use it on that note what do you think of josh hosang wearing number 66 then because he got a lot of heat from a lot of people for wearing lemieux's number lemieux said he was okay with it and he actually i mean what else is he gonna say he's not like he's gonna say don't wear my number kid like screw off <laughs> but 
I, I, I don't know. What do you think of, of that then? Because I know 99 is the only one's ever going to be retired, but if you had to consider another name, you f- I feel like Lemieux would be up on that list if you're going to retire a different uh, entire number through the National Hockey League. Yeah, you can make the argument for Lemieux. I mean, everyone who says that if he played as long as Gretzky did, if he didn't have cancer and Hodgkin's or whatever, the Hodgkin's disease, that he would you know he'd have more more accolades or be right up there with Gretzky. But he doesn't. So his number is not yeah. retired league wide, and I kind of feel like Josh saying is just going to get crap no matter where he goes, just because of uh, the you know the stuff he's already you know had troubles with. So I don't think it really matters. It doesn't bug me at all, and it doesn't really. I mean, it only bugs people that are like it's like the old tiny guys get mad about that yeah. kind of stuff. Oh well, in my day, you were never. It's like <laughs> come on, man. I mean, Lemieux yeah. hasn't been in the league for years. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Let's, let's get back on track because we are getting a little bit long. So I kind of want to do a, a little bit of house cleaning where we can quickly touch on some of the things that are happening here. The Ducks apparently signed Ole Eriksson Eck, who was a goaltender that they drafted last year through an entry-level deal. I think it was during the game this was announced. Uh, where I saw it was Rene Lavaux on Twitter was the guy who tweeted out first. Weird signing in the middle of the game. I don't think the Ducks have even announced it officially yet, but it seems like he's signed... And uh, last, I think it was a couple of days ago, Eric Stevens had been uh, put out there that Patrick Eves is officially done for the season, which I guess we kind of expected. There was like a glimmer of hope he could come back for playoffs, but now he's done. So that's just a little bit of house cleaning, getting that, that signing done, and Patrick Eves is officially done for the season. That's unfortunate, but it's kind of expected. We haven't seen him other than a couple of practice pictures here and there, a practice video here and there on social media. Get well soon and come back next year, Mr. Eves. We'd love to have you back and make room for you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to get to the questions before, in case, like, so we don't miss them here. Uh, we had two. We had Rams for Life 93 on Twitter. Uh, he said, what do you think is the best matchup for the Ducks in the playoffs, and do you think they'll get home ice? We touched on this a bit, but we can just uh, quickly go through it again if you want. Um. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> flipping it back on me, but I, I think the the best matchup. I think we both believe it's the Kings. Yeah, Maybe, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like you can make an argument for San Jose. Some people obviously believe, based on the poll we mentioned earlier, that that Vegas is just up there with the Sharks for the best matchup, and and the Kings they deemed as the worst matchup. Uh, I think you and me both believe the Kings are the best matchup, and and do I think they'll get home ice? It's tough to say because uh, the Ducks need to win tomorrow no matter what. And it is against Arizona, so it's a better chance than if they're playing a, a top team. But Arizona's played some good hockey as of late, and they always seem to play the Ducks tough. And you're playing in Arizona, which is never easy going into another team's barn, so that's going to be difficult. Uh, but the only way the Ducks get home ice tomorrow is with a win and with a regulation loss, I believe it is, right? No, no, it would be it. Yes, sorry, it would be a regulation loss by San Jose and a win by Anaheim gets the Ducks home ice no matter who they end up playing, whether it be L.A. if L.A. got the regulation win or would it be San Jose if L.A. didn't pick up two points. So it's possible. The more likely idea is that the Ducks end up getting that third Pacific Division spot and play San Jose in the first round and don't get home ice. That's probably the most likely option, but we'll see. I think they, they, there's a good possibility they can pick up two points tomorrow, and it really all depends what happens in the, the game that San Jose plays. Yeah, no, let's go uh, Let's go for the Kings. I want that matchup. I know it's the most unlikely, but that's the one I would love to see happen. Yeah, for, yeah I mean, that, that, I think that's the one everybody kind of loves to see, and as I mentioned before, also 
is dreading a bit. Uh, it's oh, it's just such a messy, violent, physical, stressful series always against the Kings. You never want to lose every game. It's just you're on edge. Uh, it's going to be tough, and they're going to be close games. Uh, looking at the last question we had, we had Halo on Reddit. He said, hey, Pat and Eddie, now that we have a larger sample size from Molinsky's play, are you confident in him going forward into the playoffs? I.e., could he be trusted in a pairing with Pedersen for any length of time? Is it too much to ask of him? And maybe we sub back in Bieksa if he ends up being healthy or holds her instead once the regular season is over. Look, as soon as Kevin BX is healthy, he's going to slot in and they're going to go ahead and scratch Andy Walensky there. I feel like... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that he's coming in at such a crucial time and he's under the microscope here because of injury and we're at the end of the season and he's paired with a, another young guy with Marcus Pedersen who we all know what he's capable of, but he's always played with a vet. Um, it doesn't seem like it matters a lot, but if you watch this pairing play, they have not been good uh, the past couple of games. So I feel like he's not ready yet to come up and take that role. Obviously, he's young. He's got plenty of time to develop and it's nothing we should you know look at negatively. But as soon as we have Bieksa, I'm sure that he's going to be be put in over Walensky in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and Walensky had a tough game today, and that pairing hasn't been that great since they've been put together. But you didn't expect Pedersen and Walensky to really be anything amazing. So uh, right when BX is ready to come back, I, I think he's put in the lineup. But uh, if he's not ready to go... I mean, you would assume they're probably going to go with that pairing to start the the playoffs, would you not? Uh, I mean, Holzer hasn't checked in once. I doubt they just all of a sudden throw him into a playoff game and say, "Here's your first game in in about a couple weeks," right? So there's no way he had a yeah. bad showing when he came in and played. He wasn't up to game speed, and and the playoffs are just another world. I don't think it's a good yeah. move at all. It's going to be tough, though, especially if the, even if the Ducks get home ice or not. But if they don't. You're going to get other teams victimizing that matchup uh, with Pedersen and Malinsky if, if that is the, the pairing the Ducks have to go with on the, the opening night of, of the playoffs. It's it's going to be tough. And even if Bieksa checks in, it, I don't think it makes much of a difference. I just think you know the the coaching staff and, and Bob Murray put him in the lineup because he, he's an older veteran guy. He's had some experience in the playoffs, which I agree with. In, in any case, if I had to ever say I'd rather have BX in the lineup over somebody, I think it would be having BX in the lineup for the playoffs over Andy Walensky. Just because yep. that experience and, and that presence on the blue line, I think, is, is better to have than throwing a kid into his first playoff game with another kid on the same pairing who's also playing his first playoff game. Uh, the nerves are going to be there. It's going to be a whole different atmosphere for them. And, and there's no re- nobody really to lean on for them. I mean, they're, they're kind of leaning on each other, both experiencing the same thing at the same time. Those lights are bright on the big stage, man. When you're up yeah. and you're and you're playing to the big show, especially against, I mean, my God, being a rookie and you're going to be playing your first shift on a third on a third pair with another rook, and you're yeah. playing against you know against the Kings of the Sharks in a bloodbath. Like you're this that's that's just something that they're going to be as much as you want to say the professional. Like you said, I mean, the nerves are going to be there. That's that's a yeah. it's not a good thing for Anaheim. They're going to have to ride their top four. I feel like, and that's what Drew commented here. Um, in our chat, he said we can just ride the top four with our current D. I, I mean, that's what we would want. We've talked about it before. Just go just like the Blackhawks did. Ride your top four guys as much as you possibly can and hide your two worst defensemen or least experienced defensemen in this case in uh, in the low minutes and uh, and shelter them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the best option. But uh, that's all we have for questions. I think that's pretty much all we had for post-game com- uh, content considering we're getting close to an hour 20 here. Was there anything else you wanted 
to hit on before we wrap this all up? No, my friend, it's 3.09, oh, nope, 3.10 a.m. <laughs> for Eddie now. Eddie, you guys, as much as everyone likes to say we do this show late, Eddie does it extra late. So cheers to you, my friend, for staying up super late and covering me while I was at the game today with all the, all the stuff you've been putting up on Twitter and getting the show prepped. I really appreciate it, man. So hats off to you as well. And everybody else who stayed up late, no matter where you're at, we've got a lot of people in chat. Derek, Gordon Bombay is always in here. Chase. Uh, Drew, so we appreciate everyone here commenting in on us and giving us a shout out and uh, all of the likes that we get and everything on um, whether you're looking at iTunes or you're listening to us on Google, go in and give us a five star review, click subscribe, leave us a review, we'll love you guys forever for it and we'll be back at it tomorrow I'm not 100% sure God, it's the third game in a row I'm saying this, I hate it, not 100% (laughs) sure when I'm going to be available It'll either be a late one like it is tonight. It'll be first thing in the morning. But we'll take care of you guys again with a game after the game in Arizona. Have a good yeah. night, everybody. I got one thing, sorry, to throw in before we do this. Because oh, I, I, I know everybody who listens to this isn't necessarily on Twitter, I would assume. Unless all of you are on Twitter, then you've probably seen it. But we do run the Forever Mighty Three Stars leaderboard on a nightly basis. And I know some of the people in the chat are do participate in it. But... If you Slackers. if you <laughs> if you aren't participating in it, we have a, a really good prize for the winner this month. Uh, our partners over at Cool Hawk, you're providing us with a jersey, fully customized, whatever team you want to to the winner of our monthly leaderboard. So all you have to do is 45 minutes before the game, we put up our predictions. It's always going to be the Ducks' first goal, the final score, and a third random one we put up. You just have to make your predictions. Head over onto Twitter. Uh, get the predictions in if you get them correct you get one point for the leaderboard so you have a possibility of getting three points on any night and if you end up being the leader at the end of the the playoffs whenever that is then you'll end up winning a jersey from cool hockey i mean it's as simple as that uh anybody out there i want to know as well if you aren't on twitter would you rather us also put it up on our Facebook, on our Instagram, uh, on Reddit, or something else like that so that you can also be involved? We're, we're open to that. If there's somewhere where you think we should be putting it so you can get involved, hit us up uh, either on Twitter, on Reddit, on Facebook, Instagram. Send us an, an email at forevermightypod at gmail.com if you want uh, us to put it up somewhere else because I want to try and get everybody involved. I think it's a great opportunity to win a jersey, and it would be great for, for one of you guys to, to win it if you can't get on Twitter. It's a badass prize. I agree, man. I think everyone should play if you can. I mean, why not? Take the shot and win. We get a lot of people playing that. So if you're not on Twitter, that's the way to go. But if you guys really feel like we need to be somewhere else, then just take what Eddie said and let us know. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's all I wanted to get off, uh, off my chest there. Uh, like Patrick said, we'll hopefully be back tomorrow night after the game against Arizona. We'll keep you updated throughout the day tomorrow, whether it's going to be a, a night podcast or if it's going to be the next morning on the Sunday morning. Either way, we will have a show out for you. We will put it out there so you guys have it. Like Patrick said, hope you guys tune in tomorrow and have a good night. Take care, guys. Cool.